all you freaks, geeks, and cinemaniacs. From the heart of Hollyweird, California, at the epicenter of all things eerie and awesome, it's time for Charles Band's Full Moon Freak Show. This week, I'm really excited to be welcoming my good friend, award-winning screenwriter and noted film historian and preservationist Larry Karaszewski to the show. Along with longtime writing partner Scott Alexander, Larry co-penned such acclaimed pictures as Tim Burton's Ed Wood and Big Eyes, Milos Foreman's The People vs. Larry Flint and Man on the Moon, the Stephen King adaptation 1408, and Eddie Murphy's triumphant comeback picture Dolomite Is My Name. All that awesomeness is barely scratching the surface of Larry's legacy, so I'm going to stop my spiel and say hello to the man himself, Larry Karaszewski. Larry, welcome to The Freak Show. <laughs> Thank you very much, Charlie. You know, I, I could have, there, there could have been so much more, but then I'll burn up time that we'll talk about all these uh, amazing pictures. Sounds good, sounds good. So you, you came out of the ozone where, how? How did this begin? When, when did this start for you, this adventure in movie land? Um, uh... Well, I, I grew up in South Bend, Indiana, um, and my parents got divorced when I was about nine years old, and wow. my father got me one day a week, and he sort of didn't know what to do with a kid, so I would somehow talk him into taking me to the drive-in, and he'd bring a case of beer, and he'd drink beer and fall asleep, and I would watch once a week or so these, these amazing movies at the right, drive-in, right. and it's before... Before, <laughs> films are really curated in a weird sense. Nowadays, you know, if there's a double bill or a triple bill, they all have, there's a theme going right, through there. But right. here, this, that day and age, you'd see Last House on the Left and the Sterile Cuckoo playing back to back. So right. I saw all those amazing 70s movies uh, at a completely inappropriate age. Right. Uh, right. But I think that's a good thing because it really made me like, the, it, just, it just took me to another place. And very early on, I, I knew I wanted to, to do filmmaking. Um, uh, but no one in my, my dad was a factory worker. My mom worked in a, uh, as a waitress. And um, fortunately, like in high school, I got involved with a, a television program in the Midwest called Beyond Our Control. It's kind of a comedy show. Uh, a lot of people come from that show uh, out here. Uh, wow. A guy named Daniel Waters wrote Heathers. Uh, the person who wrote, uh, Chris Webb, who wrote uh, Toy Story 2, the woman who invented Blue's Clues, things like that. So, and uh, 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 Dean Norris, who was on Breaking Bad. So it was, it was a really good little thing to be in when I was a young person. And then I came out here to go to USC, and Scott Alexander was my freshman uh, roommate. Okay. You know, you mentioned earlier about that young age. You were like eight or nine. Mm -hmm. So many people I know, including myself, saw their first kind of not appropriate movies at that age. Right. And I think it is a good thing. I think you kind of just, it, it's yeah. it, probably part of why we're doing this. Yeah. No, I think it's actually, um, I made it a point when I was uh, showing movies to my kids, uh, we would call it uh, Daddy's Good Movie Night. And initially they hated it. <laughs> they hated it. I'd show them something black and white. I'd show them something with subtitles. Uh, I'd show them the 70s movies. And they're always like, Dad, why do, why do people die at the end of every movie <laughs> that you show us? Because it was great. 1971. You know, every movie dies at someone ending. Uh, 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 every movie ends with someone dying at the end. Uh, so, But also I think it, it actually uh, – makes for you becoming a good audience in the sense that um, I don't want to be the old guy saying, you know, uh, get off my lawn kind of thing. The, uh, but the, uh, uh, when we were growing up, there were three networks. Right. And if you wanted to watch TV, which every kid wanted to do, you had to watch what was ever on. Right. 
So not everything was aimed at you. Right now, every kid, every show they watch, they go to the Disney Channel, they go to this, they watch cartoons, whatever. Every show is aimed directly at them. Uh, We had to sit there and watch Mannix or whatever it was and sit there and say, oh, this is really boring. This is really boring. What the hell's going on? Did he just murder that person? Did that lady (laughs) just say, what did she just say? So all of a sudden, you you knew that if you just were patient, maybe you'd figure things out. And I think that's such a cool way to look at it i mean because now it's just not kids and us it's everything is aimed towards groups i mean right. we're in that world now yeah. whereas i do i mean i didn't grow up in this country i grew up in italy so i had to watch really weird shows in italian <laughs> and then i and then i waited for like you know little house on the prairie or some bizarre dubbed american show sure. you know which was fun to watch first in italian and then later on i kind of discovered the original voices like all the clint eastwood movies the early ones were mm-hmm. always he had a great voice artist who did his voice i didn't even know what he sounded like till right. i came back to this country well so. that's funny they uh, on opening night of uh when dolomite is my name hit netflix mm-hmm. i spent the first night uh just just cruising through all the languages oh to wow see what, what motherfucker sounded like in <laughs> or or all these different things because it was, it was great it was watching seeing eddie murphy speak i didn't all even know how languages. to do that and i'll tell you that would that would be fun and you know italy because I, I grew up there but you know the france as well they do an amazing job they mm-hmm. really do a great job in, in dubbing so if you understand two languages you 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 can appreciate it more i guess you know i actually miss dubbing I mean, uh, I do think that the, uh, you know, I, I don't hate dubbing the way a lot of people hate dubbing. Uh, you know, there was a time when La Dolce Vita and all these other movies were more like mainstream kind of films as opposed to the art house right, kind of right, movies. Right, they were dubbed. They were dubbed. Yep. Bruce Lee was dubbed. Yep. You know what I mean? If Bruce Lee was subtitles, it wouldn't be the, wouldn't have been the mainstream right. hits that they were. No one right. would have seen, you know, uh, Fist all of true. Fury. You all know? true. Uh, those, all, all the, a lot of those exploitation movies, Godzilla. Hercules, these kind of things would not have been, uh, you know, not not have, not have been that. Ma- they wouldn't have played the drive-ins. And then you have movies. A lot of many of the pictures in the '60s in Italy were shot. Um, it's, without going into the technical thing, they were not shot with live sound. No, you know, they were shot with cameras, MOS. Yeah. And the actors had to come back later and put their voice in. So even Raymond Burr and Godzilla, it's a strange dubbing because. Yes. They didn't shoot him with live sound, which seems amazing. But that's no, the it's case. really fascinating when you watch a movie that um, has a major American star, but is an inter- international co-production. So if you watch right. Visconti's *The Leopard*, mm-hmm. or you watch uh, uh, *Pantocarlo's Burn* or uh, *Quemada* with Brando, you have this weird choice: Do you want to watch it with English, where every single person is dubbed, right. ex- but you're hearing Marlon Brando speak, right? right. Or and same. <laughs> With, with Visconti's movie, you watch everybody is dubbed, but you're hearing uh, Burt Lancaster. Right. Or right. you put on the Italian and read the subtitles, and there's a there's an Italian guy doing uh, exactly. doing Brando. <laughs> I you know I, I do I do not mind dubbing. I think the first time I saw Z, I was it was dubbed. The first time wow. I saw Seven Beauties, it was dubbed. You know, because yeah. that's yeah. what I grew up in South Indiana. They you know they went for the dub print. But rewinding back to those days yes. when, you, when you were when you when you were, when you were seeing those um, yes those Oddly matched double features. Which Byrne was one of them. Right. I mean, Byrne's exactly right. the perfect kind of movie. Right. I think I saw Byrne with uh, 
with like a Burt Lancaster, either either like I don't want to talk about Lancaster, but something like Valdez is coming or, or Lawman or something, you know, some weird, you know, some weird action western. So which movies were sort of the ones that you went away with thinking, wow, this is crazy? Well, I do remember Burn making really? a big impression really? on me. Burn really, I, I I knew that was like, whoa, this is this is something that was unusual. Uh, cool Hand Luke made a gigantic impression. That was a great movie uh, uh, on me. You know, I'd never seen that kind of anti-hero before. Right. You know, that guy. Right. You know, and then he was so. That's the reason why. Did I you ever cool. sneak any of the, your dad's beer? Was that uh... no? It was really weird. I was never. Um, I discovered uh, beer and weed very late, much later <laughs> in life than, than other people. It was more. That was more of a college thing. Right. I was such right. a um, uh, an overachiever trying to <coughs> get out of South in Indiana that I really sort of didn't. I, you know, I, I didn't have time for for uh, for that stuff. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of weird because um, I certainly uh, sneak a beer here now and there now. So I'm, I'm making up for lost time. The good for you. Good for right. you. But then again, how did that? I mean, what was? How did you get out of there? I mean, basically, what was the uh, impetus? What took you outside of uh, the Midwest? Um, I mean, it was. I will give a lot of credit to that television show. That was that television oh, really? show okay. was was a huge influence in my life. I didn't, um, and all the people who were involved in it. Uh, that uh, if you. Um, uh, you were really doing a professional show when we were in high school. We would oh, write wow. scripts on Monday and Tuesday night, cast on Wednesday, mm-hmm. rewrite on Thursday, build sets on Friday, shoot it on Saturday. It air as a half-hour show on the NBC affiliate on on on, uh, on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And this is all while you're in high school, and you're also not getting paid for it. And it sort of, but it was sort of this thing that brought everyone together. And it wasn't just one high school; it was like students from all around. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, so I don't really feel like I really went to. High school, even though I did, uh, I did the show. And what so, a great, yeah. yeah. And so a lot of people from the show, when they went, when they left the show, and went to college, because uh, it was just for high school students. Um, uh, they went to like a film school and instantly felt let down because all of a sudden they were <laughs> being taught how to load a camera, and they were like, right. well, "I used to, you know, we, we would, this. I used to do all this." Um, and fortunate for me. Uh, you know, I, I got to, to SC, which w- was a bit of that, a bit of a backward step, but mm-hmm. also the idea that I'm now in Los Angeles. I'm not right. in South Bend. Did your and folks move out? No, 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 no. Oh, so you just went to I college just, here on oh, yeah. your own? Okay. Well, no, I, 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 I actually, I'm the first person in my family to go to college, so there was that thing where no one was making me take SATs and things like right, this. So right, right. Uh, I, I took what is now called a gap year, but at the time it was called not going to college. Okay. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and during that time, I, um, uh, missing what kind of what I did before, I had, I sort of figured out two different options for me. One was go to Chicago and audition for Second City because I because I thought, you know, there was mm-hmm. that sort of a, that big comedy thing at the time, right, that, right. that TV shows. And the other thing was maybe, you know, uh, there was, a, oh, the film the film student people who became gigantic filmmakers. Right, and so right. I was, you know, go, maybe go to UCLA or USC or NYU, kind of thing like that. And I, I, I really only applied to USC and I got in. That's great. So you were by yourself, and you made friends here, right? Your yes. family was still back. Well, Scott Alexander was one of the very first people I met. Okay, but fr- in here, oh, here okay. in he- L.A., we were standing in line for. Um, uh, uh, this is perfect for this show. Uh, I was standing <laughs> in line for uh, like the you get that little card that allows you to buy meals at school, right. and um, and this kid was in front of me, and it's like, oh, he's he grew up in Los Angeles, and um, oh, I was like, hey, you're in the film school, I'm in the film school, hey, nice to meet you. And somehow Scott was also a film nerd, and he started talking about 
how there was a, you know, I was asking him, where do you go see movies here? What's, where's the cool stuff? And he told me about a theater called The New Art. Oh, wow. Okay. And he said, oh, this week they're showing something. I've, I've never seen these movies. They're, uh, they're by this filmmaker, Herschel Gordon Lewis. Oh, no way. And they're these <laughs> things. And I was like, Hers- I grew up on Herschel Gordon Lewis movies. I've seen them all. And he's like, oh, tell me about Blood Feast. Tell me about 10,000 oh, Maniacs. Man. And so literally the idea that Scott and I went on to write Ed Wood or right. Dolomite is my right, name, right. the fact that our very first conversation was about Herschel, Herschel Gordon Lewis. Is right. kind of like that's an that's an origin story. And you know, I started the first home video company on planet Earth, independent company in the seventies, and, and licensed every weird movie I can get my hands on, mm. and I released those movies. As oh well. wow! And it was interesting back then. You know, some of the video stores. I was talking to John Waters a few weeks ago about this because we also released Pink Flamingos, mm. and it was a time of of the as this, these. Stores were just coming into being, and this is even before rental. This is when you had to go and buy the video. You had to buy it for forty nine ninety five. Yeah, I know those know? are insane. I bought videos I bought for a hundred dollars. Well, those are pornos, pal. Hey, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> yes, they okay. are. Well, I don't know what they sold. But anyway, <laughs> the point is, it was a lot of money yes. even today, but back then it was crazy money yeah. before they figured out the rental game, and um, so so many times. And I also owned two video stores for a while. We'd have customers coming in, first-time adopters. They just wanted to buy everything. Mm-hmm. But invariably, some of the movies would come back like, what is this Pink Flamingos and yeah. Blood Feast or 2000 Maniacs? Yeah, yeah, Those yeah. are some of the ones I remember people bringing back, not quite getting it. I mean, if you're if you're going to a revival house or a movie yeah. theater, you kind of sure. know what you're getting into. Oh. But if you're just some... Average dude looking for a fun movie, and it's no, those are pink flamingos. You <laughs> that kind of flips you out. <laughs> shit eating that's where people sometimes draw the line, dog shit eating, particularly. Uh, yes, exactly. no, I remember. Um, uh, I actually knew um, the Herschel Gordon Lewis movies first from the trailers because, uh, uh, I remember I went to the drive in, and my two sisters went with us this time, and usually it was just me and my dad, but my two sisters went, and uh, the you know, com- previews of next week's coming attraction. And a, 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 a guy came uh, on the screen and was like, well, the following presentation is not <laughs> yes. fit for children. If you have or impressionable people, you know, scenes of extreme violence right. do not look. And so since my sisters were with me, uh, they made a big thing of like, oh, you you can't see. The, you turn around. How old were so you at that? I probably say? was 10, something like this. So they made me turn around. But of course, the speakers were still in the uh, in of the course. car, and uh, so I could hear all this mayhem and murder <laughs> and screaming. Probably worse, but you know, totally worse because uh, it doesn't look it, you know. And I could see the reflection of the back window. Oh right. And on. so so it was more like oh what? <laughs> it was such forbidden fruit. So as soon as I as soon as I think because those movies. Never stopped playing. They, they, they were did. they were playing long after they had any kind of uh, endless um, shelf life. Yeah, and also being course, so being you know in South Bend, which is so close to Chicago, and I think Richard Gordon Lewis was based out of Chicago. Right. So so they really he really worked the drive-in circuit and, there. You know, everything got reborn with video. You know, yeah. I mean, you and I were both there. I mean, a little different for me because of being yeah. in Italy. There was really sure. no TV, but the idea of seeing a movie at will did not exist. You'd yeah. have to search it no. out. But that's what made it great. That's what sort of uh, that, that's what how the whole cult movie thing began. Right. Because if you saw a movie, uh, um, and it was it, it blew your mind somehow, 
you had to tell your friends about right, it. And right. they were like, what is that? I don't know. Well, you know, do you, And so you'd have to look at the TV guide to figure out when it was playing if, again. If it ever came if on. If it ever came yeah. on. So like well, something like me seeing Burn mm-hmm. at a drive-in in 1973 or something, mm-hmm. the idea of like telling, my, you know, does, does that movie even exist? Does that right. have my, you know? Right. And so, and if it, did, if it did show up, you'd grab people and you'd take them. Absolutely. You had to take them to go see Harold and You, you would also have to... And if you love the movie and you figured out, oh, I must love this filmmaker, you'd have to try to find a way to figure out what other movies he made. Yeah. Today, you push Google in two seconds. You'd have None to go that. to the library. You'd go to the library. The library, That's right. people. Well, I was very fortunate. I don't know why I'm talking so much about my, myself growing up, but oh, when great. my mother worked as a waitress, uh, she was across the street from the South Bend Public Library. Oh wow! So there, I was a total latchkey kid, right, uh, right, and right. Uh, yeah, we had, uh, our idea of childcare was come to work with me, and you just go across the street for six hours. So um, I'd go across the street for six hours, and I discovered that row, right? That row that had m- uh, movie books and entertainment oh, books wow, and okay. the films of Humphrey mm-hmm. Bogart and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So I totally got into that, and then I discovered this newspaper called Variety, oh, which wow. would tell me about movies that were coming out. How did you get that in? It South was. Bend. It was in you know. It's sort of like in the periodical section or whatever. Oh, okay. they, they, they would have uh, weekly variety, not daily. Oh, variety. the weekly. Okay. Um, I miss that. I miss the daily variety. I love uh, opening that paper yeah. up and. I mean, yeah. you know. I, I subscribe. I got, for Christmas one year, I asked them for a subscription to Weekly Variety. Uh, and I must have been 11 years old. So Good I was the only you. person getting weekly, <laughs> a little kid getting Weekly Variety. That is looking at the, the yeah. grosses. Yeah, looking at the grosses, <laughs> the gross charts. That's I still, hilarious. I still sometimes will find some, some old gross chart, and I'll, 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 I'll tweet it out. And I'm always shocked that people just freak out. That is amazing. So how do there we jump one, there, was one, there was one I tweeted, which was, uh, John Cassavetes' cu- husbands was the number one film in the country, and it was like. But he, was it? Yes, yes, wow. it was. Those are weird movies. I don't yeah. know. I, I, watched I don't know all how. That stuff. The, you know, but it was because movies were movies were only playing in like you know eight yeah, screens. Eight screens. So it just happened to be in the right eight screens or something. You know. Another thing that I've mentioned before to other with other guests is the most fun I had. Now again, I grew up in Italy, came back here at age twenty, mm-hmm. and I briefly sold ties at a men's clothing store on Hollywood Boulevard, which was the only kind of, I don't want to say legit job, but the only job where for about a few months I actually got a paycheck is then I started my own crazy thing. Mm -hmm. But being in that neighborhood and our family kind of became broke for a bunch of reasons, I would go out with friends that I'd met to see a lot of these movies right on the boulevard. Sure, the the Predominantly, you know, black audience. And the most fun I ever had at any movie theater is watching those films with the audience participation. People yelling at the screen, don't go in there, bitch, whatever. It was just, it was, I wish I could have, in a way, recorded that live with, you know, 10 cameras to make an event out of it because... And then a couple of these movies I've seen, I saw many years later on video with my kids or whatever, and it just it looks it's not as fun as when no, I was, was there at now, the at the now, world. Now with a couple hundred people screaming. Well, yeah. it's funny that you mentioned uh, the the when we weren't going to the drive-in, I would go to a, a theater called the Avon, which is downtown Los Angeles. Oh uh, wow, South that Bend. was and it yeah. was it was uh, it was the place where the exploitation movies right. played. It would be it was that it was that it was that thing where the exploitation and art house recorded sort of the same thing okay, sometimes. So, right, right, uh, right. But um, uh, I had an amazing. This is the 70s still. The 70s still. This okay. Is, this is early 70s, and so that's where I saw. I saw the black exploitation. That's where I saw all right. the kung fu movies. Right. And I had a major, major kung fu experience yesterday. Was I was I'm just got, I'm just got back from New York City, mm-hmm. and um, I was a huge fan of of, uh, of Chopsaki films when okay. I was growing up, and uh, Bruce Lee was my hero, mm-hmm. and all mm-hmm. you know everyone they were all my heroes, and um, 
the woman who plays Bruce Lee's sister in Enter the Dragon, mm-hmm. who winds up having this amazing battle and she winds up killing herself, mm. she starred in many, many films. She okay. was a woman named Angela Mayo, mm. and she was an amazing karate star. She was actually the female Bruce Lee. Wow. AIP okay. picked up one of some of her films. Lady Whirlwind, I think, that turned mm-hmm. into Deep Thrust. Mm-hmm. A title trying to rip off Deep Throat, a Deep, <laughs> deep Thrust. thrust. Close. Uh, uh, there's, there's a, you know, uh, MGM put out Deadly China Doll mm-hmm. and uh, and um, a couple things like this. So uh, I'd heard a couple years ago that she now lived in the States and she's running a Chinese restaurant in Queens. No way. And I did a little bit of like Google mapping and I was flying out of JFK and I realized that I could have my, my Uber driver kind of take me to the restaurant in Queens and it wouldn't be that much out of our way going to JFK. Just on your way to the airport. And so yeah. I would eat at her Chinese restaurant and just cross my fingers that she's there and I, I brought some, some stills. And so I, yesterday I met Angela Mao. Oh my God. And, uh, and she took a picture with me How and sweet. I was just like, um, you know, you're my, you're my kung fu hero growing you, you, up. You must have made her day too. No. I mean, I mean, yeah, that is amazing. Yeah, so that good was great. And her food you. was good. I had That's a, right. you know. <laughs> so, um, Again, I, I I want to get to a few things, and I know the time. One flies. more thing about yeah. your uh, the video store days. Was, yeah. This is this is an interesting thing. Um, uh, was when we went to pitch Dolomite is my name. Okay. Uh, first of all, Eddie Eddie and Scott and I tried to sell this movie way back in the early two thousands. Really. And no one gave a shit. No one. No one. We would go in these rooms and kind of get those blanks faces because right. they didn't know who Rudy Moore is and they'd right. throw on one of these movies and say what the hell is this and it was kind of Eddie's Pluto Nash stage and we weren't that hot anymore either and right. so it was just like you know it was a polite pass how about that really? and so we gave up on it and um, uh, like after the People versus O.J. Simpson this, this television show that mm-hmm. Scott and I did that was kind of a, right. a phenomenon and so you have that brief like three weeks where you can kind of like go in anywhere <laughs> and they'll just like think anything you say is <laughs> three genius. weeks oh my yeah. god what a town what a town you know but you gotta do it quickly so we did it quickly we actually called Eddie back up and and said um, uh, you know are you still interested in doing Dolomite let's run, let's get out there and so we took it to Ted Sarandos uh, over at Ted Sarandos mm-hmm. over at mm-hmm. Netflix and Scott and I had this whole preparation to sort of like tell him about the importance of Rudy Ray Moore and right, who Rudy right, Ray right. Moore is. And we were like, we want to do a movie about Rudy Ray Moore. And he's like, Rudy Ray Moore, I love Rudy Ray Moore. Because Ted used no the same, like you, used to run video stores, used to right. run a video distribution right. thing. Right. And he's like, oh, no, every video store that we had had to have four tapes of Rudy Ray Moore because they, they couldn't, they couldn't, they couldn't uh, keep them in stock. And, and I have to jump in now. I can't help myself yeah. because even though we're – also, I don't I, care if you talk about any of my movies. I love, I love, I love um, Dolomite so much. You made such, you wrote such a great show, mm-hmm. and but since we're kind of still in the seventies, so I'm at that same, um, you know, <laughs> men's clothing store, right. colorblind as hell, selling ties mainly to um, to a black clientele, and right next door to that store was a record store, and I became very friendly with the owners and hung out because music is my thing. And then I started, I'm embarrassed to say, no one knows this, but I started a kind of a bootleg record business while I was selling ties. Where, where, because the whole, I mean, uh, uh, this is Charlie Band origin. Story. This, this, this is good. ultimately this little, yeah, heading good. to Rudy yeah. Ray Moore, who right. I met right. and, and hung with, and I'll tell you how. So, anyway, there was this loophole, they told me at the time, um, where if you recorded an open air concert of the Beatles, mm-hmm. you could press records and sell them. There was some crazy, now, don't ask me if this was real. Uh, other people were doing it, so so I guess I was a bootlegger for six months, okay. and I would I, I didn't actually go to the concerts, but kids would go. They'd record it terribly on some little machine. Yeah. 
I would, that's how I met Wally Heider. That's another story that involves, um, anyway, I, I don't want to get off too many tangents. So I'm pressing these things. Now I'm beginning, starting with the place next door and up and down the coast. I'm selling these bootleg records. I had eight or nine different records. I had the Stones. I had the Beatles. I shouldn't be saying any of this, but I'm, I, that's what it was. And we're talking about 300 <laughs> unit. I mean, it was nothing in terms of I don't quantity. think Paul McCartney's watching. I think no, you're okay. And, and, I, and, and I love the Beatles and I love Paul. I'm going to sue that Charlie Band <laughs> yeah, for... Well, yeah. Anyway. Good luck. I crossed paths more than once with Rudy Ray Moore because okay. at that same store next door, um, he was bringing his comedy records okay. and because this was all underground. I mean, this is all cash. Yeah, right? yeah, this yeah. is not, you know, this, this for people who don't know this, you didn't go through a distributor. It was never a check. Look, here's, I got 20 Beatles live at Shea Stadium and that was cash and Rudy mm. would come in with all his records and I met him. He was hilarious and strange and mm. I, I love the fact that he did the routine, did the shtick, pressed the records at the same place I was pressing my records no. and went up and down and sold them yeah. directly to the record stores. Yeah. So if some years later, many years later, um, no, a few years later, he did his movie, and uh, Nick von Sternberg, yes. I think that was his name. Yes, Joseph von Sternberg's son. Nick and two of the other guys worked on my first movie, and then I heard that they were working with Rudy Ray Moore on a movie. This is way back huh. in the 70s. I mean, your film's all about this. Dolomite's yeah. all about this history. So I was so involved in a way in, in those years, and it was such an incredible – first, your film is – it's such a joy. If anyone hasn't seen it, Dolomite is my name is a fucking great movie. Oh, down to you. every piece of history that's wrapped in there. But I, I lived through some of that. Sure, sure. <laughs> you well, it's a record store and uh, and the movie business. So yes. it's like Rudy. Rudy was uh, like you. Rudy was a total do-it-yourselfer. Total. And he did it, he did it himself for the records. He did yeah. it himself with the with the movies. He did. You know? And Ed Wood and, and Weird Way too. They're very compliment. I just we just showed both of them in uh, in New York City uh, this past week mm -hmm. and uh, seeing them uh, so close to each other. They really are. That a, is a, a, no, that's film. a double feature. Yeah, I love Ed Wood. But I'm going to go back in okay. time a bit more and then we'll head towards okay, some other films. But you got to do this when you catch something that yeah. that resonates. So. All right, so how did you get your first really good gig here in town? I mean, what what was the day where you go, oh fuck, I, this is amazing, and like we, money, money came in, which we you know. have. Uh, we I, I was joking when I talked to students. Our our our, our beginning really can't help anybody uh, except that uh, was when Scott and I were finishing up at USC. Um, Scott had a Scott got one of the very first kind of personal computers. It was early eighties. Okay. Wow! Okay. And it was like, oh, you can actually change things, right. and you can, you know, uh, <laughs> and you have to use these floppy disks and do right. all this, and you couldn't even. And at USC for all the previous years, um, you uh, you took a screenwriting class. You right. had to write just the, uh, a brief outline and the first thirty pages, which totally makes sense. That's really all you should write for a class. Right. Nowadays, I meet twelve-year-olds and they say, "Will you read my script?" And I'm like, "Oh, sure." And like, well, you want to read my western, or you want to read my musical? And it's like all these people have these. You know, they have these. <laughs> it's like you know, they're they're just typing. Yes. They're typing into a, a, a program that's doing it for them. Right. Um, right. And so uh, um, uh, Scott and I were just sort of like, "Hey, let's try to write a script." Let's try to skip from start to finish. Let's, right. let's do. Let's actually do something, and we came up with an idea. And we, you know, we're still going to school, so we uh, could only write from like you know midnight to two a.m. And, wow. and we were living together in Silver Lake with a bunch of other guys, and uh, um, no girls, no girls, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, and um, uh, we finished it. That was pretty funny. And uh, initially, we were, we wrote it for we said let's. Let's see, who would be great? It would be great if it was starred Albert Brooks and Morris Day. 
And so we got okay. up the uh, record album of Morris Days, and, and it said, managed by Sand Dollar Management. And it was like, all right, Sand Dollar. So we just called them up and said, who's, who's, <laughs> I love it. who's, who's Morris Day's manager? And they're like, all right. So they, and we're like, we wrote a screenplay for Morris Day, a script. And I'm like, you wrote a screenplay for Morris Day. <laughs> that is bizarre. And so they were, uh, uh, through a bunch of things that happened, that script wound up selling for, you know, a boatload of money really? two weeks after we graduated from college. Isn't that amazing? And we instantly right had an on. office at 20th Century Fox. Wow. So you had dough. You live in Hollywood. Yeah. Chicks were everywhere. Uh, no, yeah, once again, he wants, he wants me to be a drunk teenager <laughs> and, and, a, and a wild and crazy guy once I get my cash. No, well, um, I mean, but seriously, uh, you, you never had cash. Now you have money. Oh, but I, I spent it. Uh, yeah, that being said, spent it. <laughs> I spent it. And it was one of those things where, like, what do you mean taxes? Right, right. You know what I mean? It literally, it was that kind of thing. So I, I, I learned that lesson really early right. on. And of yeah. course, that movie didn't get made. Okay. So it was one of those things where, like, but it, but we were on we were on the on the radar on the radar. radar. Our next script we wrote was called Problem Child. That did get made. Oh right, right. That right. that was a huge hit. There's mm-hmm. Problem Child too. There's a television series. All this kind of stuff. Uh, Ritter, we were right. What John, John Ritter? Yeah. Ritter. We were actually kind of embarrassed how it turned out. We thought mm-hmm. we were writing a different kind of movie and. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, it was one of those weird things where it was sort of, um, uh, you know, it, it just it just wasn't wasn't our cup of tea. Right. That being said, we actually I watch it now and I think it's hysterical. But um, uh, <laughs> time, time uh, but we were really we were snobs back then, and so that's when we said let's let's write that art film that we should have written th- instead of Problem mm-hmm. Child, and then mm-hmm. we we took a step backwards and we wrote Ed Wood. Whoa! The, so this is wow. So that was that's a chunk of time though, because Ed Wood is now what twenty odd, yeah, something like that. Yeah, no, uh, but I'm problem shot is what nineteen ninety, I think. Okay, and Ed so Wood is ninety four. Ninety four, so. ninety five. Right. I've been in this business a long time. <laughs> well, so have we all. But yeah. okay, so that okay now. But I, you again, still look like you look so young. It's you know, it's so the hair dye. Hair I mean, is, <laughs> it's there's nothing else. But thank you. I keep my silver lining. And you know, I have to say to people who may not know this. Larry and I have been friends for years, and our sons... Our sons are best pals. Our best pals. Yeah. How do you like that for yes. a Hollywood so, story? Zalman slept a lot on my couch. This <laughs> <laughs> is a good thing. It's a good thing. In fact, thing. I just saw your son in, in Italy. I know, yeah. I know. We were there, and of course, I, for the first time in 20 years, took the entire family, party of 16, right. Italy. Um, and because, uh, you know, I've had some hard times. I wrote a book for people who want to read it. It's uh, very entertaining. The, the good, the bad, and the... Uh, and thanks for the blurb, because you're, you're, you're a part of that. So party of 16, elaborate plans. It was an eight-day, nine-day vacation. Four days into it, um, nine people, nine of us got COVID. It mm. became a complete, total COVID right. disaster. Right. They had to isolate. The whole thing unraveled. Right. But during all that, in the early days before anyone had COVID, Zalman went to join you and your family for your daughter's wedding. Correct, correct. And it was lovely, lovely, lovely. And love seeing Zalman Beautiful. There. Yeah. Actually, I think I, I, a little tear came to mind when I saw Zalman because, oh, because it was like there were, all the preparations were happening and we're for that the big day. Yeah. And I looked out a window and I saw I saw Zalman and his girlfriend. I was like, oh, and that sort of so that was like, oh my god, this is real. It is real. Oh I, I, There's Zalman. I experienced <laughs> I, that. I, was, I probably forgot Zalman was coming. I was like, oh my I, god, Zalman. I experienced there. that all the time. Yeah. I look at these grown men. I go, wow. Yeah. Look, look what happened. Yeah. Both our boys turned out really good. They're sweethearts. So I'm I'm now nostalgic. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Get back to movies. Um, all right, so 94. And by the way, Ed Wood is one of my favorite movies of all time. Thank I you. mean, I'm, I'm, if anyone's seen the 12 or 13 broadcasts that we've done, I rarely say that. It, it hits on, first, of course, I relate to it <laughs> like, like really well. Um, I love the story, the backstory. Um, Johnny Depp's perfect. 
Well, his... it had a lot to do with uh, us writing Problem Child and, and being a little mm. disappointed. Was that we because before our film, everyone sort of looked at that Ed Wood as a figure of mockery. Right. You know, the worst filmmaker of all time. You know, right. you know the right. 20 worst movies of all time. You know, right, there right. was a, the Medvids had that traveling show. They would mm-hmm. take to places like the New Art. Like, and right. people would come to the movies and laugh. And having made Problem Child, and I think one of the reviews for Problem Child said the script uh, the script wasn't written, it was finger painted or something <laughs> like that. And so uh, we were like, yeah. well, you know, no one sets out to make a bad movie. No. Everyone's trying to make something good. It's just, it's kind of, here's the thing, it's impossible to make a good one. You know, it's just there's so many things going into a movie that it's like it's it's the fact that anything is good is a miracle. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we looked at, we, you know, having our problem child experience, we stepped back and looked and said, what, you know, let's look at Ed Wood. He didn't, you know, he, he loved Monster. He, he made the movies he wanted to make. He made them with his friends. Right. He made a bunch of features. Glenn or Glenda, Glenn or Glenda's not even a, uh, if you look at Glenn or Glenda now uh, with a new set of eyes that, that our society has, what a what a plea for tolerance! Right. What a, it is an it is an it is an experimental art film that's right. a very extreme personal movie. Mm-hmm. Ed's throwing his life on on yeah. film, so it's like Ed Wood was not a. So we were like, what could we do that keeps the spirit of fun, but celebrates him? Right. You know, celebrate his passion, yeah. as opposed to make him a figure of mockery, and mm-hmm. also really relate to that 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 Bella uh, Lugosi Ed Wood love uh, story that's really that's happening. Fantastic. There. Yeah. But his the way you wrote it and, and his naivete and I mean I related to so much of that and, and his just bravado and attempt to go out there and make it work, you yeah. know, bootstrap, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean just and having grown up with the movies that he made, I just um you know, and just start to finish. I'm trying to think of something to pull out of yeah. the story, but it's just such a wonderful film and thank you. I, well I, it's funny, I don't think Scott and I uh, every time we meet a filmmaker, a right. major filmmaker, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. someone starting out, it's like Ed Wood. They, they, you know, it's, <laughs> it's like this thing where they, uh, they're like, you know, you, so you meet like the greatest filmmakers of all time. Like oh, I'm just one step away from being Ed Wood. Well, Everyone it's, thinks it's, they're Ed it Wood. It hits a chord, and for me, having been in, I've kind of been Ed Wood a lot of times yeah. in my yeah. career, where, you know, you work hard, you got it, and then you kind of watch it for the first time with an audience, and you're going, oh shit, no. okay. Nothing, nothing, <laughs> nothing's worse than any movie for the first time you watch it with an audience. Like, right, oh, right. wow. But it, you, it, it gives you a different window. Yeah. But, but Well, that's you. why we created uh, – it's one of the – we like to – almost everything in our movies is somewhat based on, a, on, on factual things. Right. I mean, we like to – that's why we make these true life stories because right. truth is stranger than fiction. We like using the weird stuff that we find. Right. One of the few scenes that we just absolutely 1,000% created mm-hmm. is the scene where Ed Wood talks to uh, Orson Welles mm-hmm. at Musa's. Mm-hmm. Oh, and God. because I think we were looking for some – we knew the structure of the movie. We knew how we wanted to end the movie. But we're looking for some just thing to bring it thematically home. Right. And it was like, what if the – "Quote unquote worst filmmaker of all time <laughs> ran into the, <laughs> the quote unquote the best filmmaker <laughs> of all time. What would they talk about? And the thing is, they're in the same friggin' boat. And they are literally having the same problem. And they're Ed both is, and they're both in Musos. They're both in Musos. <laughs> they're both they're both like struggling with producers trying to get money and producers recutting his movie and having to cast this person. And it's just like it's like you know they're you know it's like I think Ed, uh, Orson Welles in our script says something like, "Tell me about it." Right. <laughs> I hate when that happens. So you know. true. It's just different degrees of talent. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> you know? exactly. But again, not to keep right. going back to my past, but right. Musos, 
as a young kid, I mean, I read about it, I knew about it, even when I couldn't afford to go there. Yeah. I, I started going there in the early 70s, mm -hmm. just because that's where legends happen. Absolutely. And, and I would say of the, I mean, I wasn't there that frequently, but probably twice a year, which was a lot, maybe three times. And almost every other time for a two-year period, there was Orson Welles. He had his table by the oh, bar. Right. He was usually by himself. Sometimes people came over dressed in black. He right. was really big, but between the table, the dark corner, and his black thing, he didn't look quite as large as he no, really wow. was. That's and cool. I would just look at him, and I exactly know what you're talking about. Right. I'm right here with Orson Welles. Right. I'm going to try to make my movie now. That's so funny. My version of the Musso story is I came here in the 80s. I came right. to L.A. in the 80s, and I would go to the very few times I would come to Musso's. I'd look over in the corner, and there was Russ Meyer uh, <laughs> for me. I mean, that's, I was like, that's oh, hilarious. my God, there's Russ Meyer. Oh, my, is that Kitten? I think he's sitting with Kitten. That is hilarious. Well, <laughs> it just proves your point, right, the sure. way you wrote that scene. And yeah. speaking of Russ Meyer's, because, again, back in the day, I would go to a lot more conventions than I do sure. now. Well, he's, he, he's the ultimate do-yourself. And he, he, to the bitter end, was sitting in one of those booths, yeah. really old, always with some chick, one of his stars next to him, who also looked pretty damn old. The boobies yeah, were there. Were the really boobies were there, sort of, yeah. still, you know, perky. And he'd be signing stuff. And yeah. I go, I'm like, there's Russ Myers with a couple of his uh, yeah, big Yeah, I think I hit him up for, like, a Vixen poster signing one time. But he was also, <laughs> because he was, uh, he, like you talk about Rudy distributing himself, yeah. uh, you know, Russ distributed all himself. He, he brought the, the movies to the convention, and he'd yeah. be selling them. And yeah. he didn't even have anyone helping him. He'd be, okay, $10. He, um, it's like, oh, my God. There was on the back of every video box was, was RM distribution or anything. Right. Like this. And so you would – but they have a phone number. Right. You'd call it up. That's right. And would be like, RM. <laughs> and it'd be Russ Meyer. Be Russ you know, Meyer. We would just call it just to hear him say RM and then hang up, I you know. It. You know, that is such an awesome – The problem, deal. though, is now – it, they're, they're those, you know, as you introduced me with some kind of preservationist title yeah. in my name. Yes. Um, now that RM has passed away, yes. those movies are in sort of a state of like who's taking care of these movies. And that, so that happens, you yeah. know. And so uh, that that's that is also that's a problem of independent filmmaking. It is, is. That, is that is that you know uh, make fun of the studios and all you want to, or, uh, um, but those movies go into a vault. Someone's looking after those movies, and so uh, uh, RM, you know, I wish. You know, gosh, can you imagine what Criterion would do with the Russ Meyer I set? I would, I would dream about something you know, like that. Um, as an independent filmmaker now, forty-seven years of making weird movies. First, I, in a moment, I'm going I'm to segue into the last Foxtrot story because you're instrumental yeah, in finding that. <laughs> but to your, but to your point, so I've never been bankrupt, but I've had. Mm. Really difficult years and amazing but you, years. You've hid. You haven't answered the doorbell a couple yeah, times. No, I never hid. <laughs> I, that, I think that's the reason why I've come back several no, times. No, Charlie's not here. Who's calling? <laughs> oh, hi, it's Charlie. Yes, that's me. it is me. No, I didn't hide because hiding's the right. worst. I'm yeah. there saying, hey, dude, I can't help. Yeah. I, I can't pay or whatever. I was See, pretty... I was very fortunate when I when I owe money that uh, no one can pronounce my last name. So <laughs> when creditors are called, Miss Mr. Kragwarowski there. <laughs> right. No, no, he passed away. I'm sorry. I had it all. I had all sorts of stuff. But... Um, to your point about negatives and preservation, uh, I fought like the devil to keep my negatives as best as I could. Mm -hmm. You got to put in perspective the fact that back in the day, before we knew about what was coming and digital and all the rest of it, so you have these big 35 millimeter prints, and I always wanted to save one or two mm -hmm. of those. And, the, and then there was the negative, and then there was the cut negative, then there was interpositive. And then there was, for a while, you got to keep your trims. And yeah. so, you know, by the time I made my 10th movie, which was nothing compared to the mm -hmm. amount I've made, and we're probably now in, I don't know, 1979, 1980, 
I had a pretty large warehouse that I paid sure. for every month to, to keep that material. And then suddenly things exploded, and video, and I was making 10, 12 movies a year, all on film, because film stopped, you know, whatever, it stopped 15 yeah. years ago. And then it was two warehouses and three, and then th times got tough, and I had to go, I have to get rid of some of this because I, I couldn't barely pay my rent. And so you got rid of the trims, and you tried to consolidate down ultimately to the negatives. And I've managed, with few exceptions, to keep these negatives over 47 years. And I can only imagine if people have had harder times or they stopped making movies, yeah. uh, what would happen to these things. Plus, labs went out of business back in the day, and 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 – so I'm, I'm, I got to well, tell. Well, there was I think that the the video. And I could be totally wrong about this, but I think the video company is something weird. You remember something weird? Oh, totally. Something weird. Yeah, I yeah. think a lot of their 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 origin right. is right. that uh, somebody was someone had a storage <laughs> right. facility, and there was all this shit was going to be thrown yep. away, yep. and they came over and pretended like it was like they would buy it or they would, and so all of a sudden now they had all these yes. these '60s movies that no one had like Which seen. Which was great. Yeah, he did an great. amazing job, yeah. and we 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 have some of these movies on our. On our uh, streaming site, but um, but I got to tell the Foxtrot sure, story briefly because all right. So, and I know people probably heard this, but I can't resist since you're the guy who yeah. who made this happen. So one <laughs> don't day, don't blame me. Ladies I'm and totally blaming don't blame me. So right. you know, I'm a collector freak, and I've always numbered my movies. So when I made my first horror movie called Mansion of the Doom, that was number one. The movie that we're now shooting in Serbia is the fifth subspecies movie. That's number three hundred sixty-six. So right. we're a lot of movies over 47 years. Now, the truth is I did make a movie before my first horror movie called Last Foxtrot in Burbank, which was such an abomination, so not what I wanted to do. I, I was led into it for a whole bunch of reasons, not important right now. And I released it with big fanfare because, man, much like Ed Wood, I'll just go to the mat and I'll spend money and premieres and Klieg lights and I realize, oh, shit, I have a disaster. No one showed up to the next screenings. And it, it was, I thought, I, I have to bury this thing. I've got to get rid of this. I almost went back to Italy permanently. I got rid of all the material. I threw stuff away. And then I somehow, because of a business that I invented, nothing to do with show business, I suddenly had money again, and I made my first horror movie. So now for 40-plus years, <laughs> Foxtrot is a distant memory yeah. until one day Larry Karaszewski says, hey, I found a print of the trailer for Last Foxtrot yeah. in Burbank. And is well, no, I'll, back, I'll step in really quickly is that I um – uh, I'm obsessed. I have a friend, me, me and a friend of mine are completely obsessed with old movie ads. We're obsessed with movie right, ads. Right. Uh, particularly ads that reference other films. Like, right. if you liked American right. Graffiti, you're going to love right. this. This year's Saturday Night Fever right, or whatever. Right. That, that yeah, kind sure. of, it really cracks us up. And usually because it's completely inappropriate. Right. And so we always are searching and trying to send sending stuff back and forth to each other. And, uh, uh, we discovered Last Foxtrot in Burbank and was like, what the? And like you said, you clearly spent money because there are full page ads for Last Foxtrot. And I was like, what the heck is I this? Know. I didn't even know you were a part of it. Yeah. I just was like, oh my God. And so I think <laughs> I did some search or I put it, you know, I'm always, I do I do with Joe Dante the Trailers from Hell website. And so I'm always looking for interesting things. Right, and right. You couldn't find anything on, on Last Fox out in Brooklyn. I'm you see, I did my job pretty well. You did well. your job pretty well. It was definitely, uh, uh, you know, uh, it was in the Witness Protection Program, that, <laughs> yes. that film. Yes. Uh, and then one day a trailer popped up on eBay and it might have even been misspelled. And so when things are misspelled on eBay, that's where you can get it cheap because the people who are doing the correct Google search aren't, can't, can't find, find it. it. You know, so I actually got it. I, I don't remember what I paid for it, but I, got, I paid for it, and I got it transferred, 
and it wound up being I wound up then discovering it was a Charlie Band picture, and so <laughs> I called you. So that, that's what you picked back up. So um, I get the call, and then you show me the trailer, and you know I am I say this all the time. I have an amazing memory of convenience. I can erase <laughs> things and anything bad, and there's a bunch of bad stuff in my career. I kind of just and Foxtrot now a distant memory. The only time it comes up every so often is John Carpenter, of all people, was my yeah. editor on this movie. Yeah. And, and his name comes up, and I think, oh, yeah, Foxtrot, ship. Anyway, now I'm looking at the trailer, and it reminded me again of just how ridiculous that movie was. Trailer's hysterical. Well, if the trailer, explain <laughs> why. Reason, explain why, yeah. Explain yeah. why the trailer's hysterical. There's not a, a frame. frame of, <laughs> of <laughs> last Foxtrot and Burbank. In the trailer. There was a whole genre of trailers from the early 70s. I forget the name of the company that really specialized in this, where they wouldn't show you the movie, right. they would just do fake, fake, not ir- real interviews, fake, fake interviews of people coming out of that theater. Right. Excuse me, sir. Right, right. Oh, that was the most, that was the scariest movie I ever saw. <laughs> right, oh, I, right. I, I, I couldn't hold my, and this one right. was a bunch of people coming out from just seeing Last Fox Trot and, and Burbank, and it's, right. a, it's a total and, and so I get all sort of nostalgic because there's uh, my brother as a young man, mm. my first wife, <clears throat> friends of mine, because, you know, you needed 8, 10, 12 people, you mm-hmm. know, and I just said, call my family. Come and be these people. <laughs> then I had a few actors. <laughs> because there weren't people actually coming out of the theater, you see. <laughs> that's, <laughs> right, no. the whole that's how you know it's fictional, because totally people were actually fake. coming out of the theater. Coming out, yeah. And then we had a couple <laughs> actors, like a guy I used to use, he yeah. would go, that's beyond filth, beyond filth. Yeah. Actually, he was a, a DP. He was great. Anyway, um, I watched this. I go, oh, fuck, yeah, but it'll be, you know, it's a curio, and... And you said own it, and then I, at the same exact time, I'm um, working with a fellow named Adam Felber, who's this wonderful uh, writer. Uh, uh, he's my biographer, so we're doing my my uh, the book that came out last year, uh, Confessions of a Puppet Master. And I finally told him the story. He said it's got to be in the book. It's a great story. You went, you did. You almost lost your shirt. You had weird yeah. anyway. Anyway, so now it's in the book, and now you find the trail. Like who yeah. would have thought? And then. You have to pick up the story on how we found. Well, I mixed. I, I, um, I'm, you know, I, uh, I, I, I put the trailer on Trailers from Hell, right? And my intro was all about, you know, I'm actually having, I'm actually introducing a trailer for a movie I've never seen. Right. The reason I've never seen it, it, it doesn't exist. <laughs> I'm actually doing a, tra- it's a trailer for a lost film, right? And the trailer itself doesn't even show you this movie, but right. it's a, you know, blah blah blah, John Carpenter, Charlie Band, right. uh, you know, and I was like, you know, and and Charlie says it's horrible, and I'm sure it is horrible. It's last Fox shot in, in Burbank, but <laughs> but you know, I can't help but cry when there's a there's a there's a lost film, and this actually. It's like the old JFK thing. Like it stirred the waters. It yes, stirred the it waters, did. and we found a couple people who at least thought they had leads on prints, and it eventually led to you picked that up. Well, <laughs> I, I, re- I wish I remember the gentleman's name. Super great guy at the UCLA Film Archives, right. who I guess contacted you with mm-hmm. Twitter or however he yeah. read about it, right. and he said we've had this movie here for forty-eight years or forty-seven years. Never heard anything about it. No one's ever asked about it. <laughs> right. Right. But I guess what happened at the time, and he explained it to me, is many of these labs would go out of business, and um, you know negatives were either found in dumpsters mm-hmm. and brought to UCLA. Mm-hmm. And he had this movie. I mean, I thought that negative was long gone. So suddenly, right. now it was missing real five or four. I forget what it was because it was a short movie to mm-hmm. begin with. Luckily, it was only a few minutes of the mm-hmm. ending and end crawl. Mm-hmm. So I got the I borrowed the negative mm-hmm. from from UCLA. And made a beautiful 2K master, and it's even though we've released it briefly on our streaming site, it's going to be part of a collection that I put together that I'm going to hopefully continue doing of the first ten movies I made. Oh. And what's interesting is 
because I've always numbered my movies, and if you look at the end of my films, you'll see number mm -hmm. 27, number 36, number right. 291. And of course, uh, Mansion of the Doom is number one. Sure. Now, Foxtrot was before Mansion of the Doom. That's fine zero. So, so it, it is number zero. It's number zero. But I also, uh, and, and this is, we're going to announce this next month, but whatever. So I've created this really, really cool, beautiful, almost Apple-style-esque box mm -hmm. set of the first, well, the plan was the first 10 movies, Mansion through, I forget which. And in there, we have some cool things and these postcards. But I had to include Foxtrot. So, mm -hmm. so even though the idea is eventually maybe to do 10 at a time for the mm -hmm. next 10 years, because mm -hmm. it's a lot of 10s, right. this is the, these are the first 10 movies, but I, they're actually 11. It's, <laughs> it's number zero <laughs> through number 10. Sure. That's great. That's fantastic. So thanks for, uh, I think. Because yeah. <laughs> then I, watched, I was forced to watch this movie after yeah, yeah. 47. I, I, I wound up watching it. I mean, it's, I mean it, you know, knowing this backstory, it's actually kind of entertaining. I remember we initially got confused because they only had some like subtitle soup or something. And then right. we remember. Then we remember the movies. The, everyone's speaking fake Italian in this yes. movie because it is a fake parody. French. Fake French. I'm yes. sorry. Fake French. Yeah. yeah. You know, my friend at the. I mean, he passed away. Wonderful writer and the uh, Frank Ray Pirelli. Yes. He went on to. He did the Doberman Gang. Yes. He did little cigars. Yeah. My dad. He, made, he specialized in movies where uh, you know, the gimmick was some something odd is robbing a bank. Right. Right. Yeah. No. Exactly. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. That, little that people or dogs. But he used to be. Um, he used to be Lenny Bruce's yes. partner. I met him once. He gave me. Uh, oh, you he met Frankie, me, right? Yeah, he oh. he gave me a, um, a Xerox check uh, of Lenny Bruce's, just so I, you know, he had actually had Lenny Bruce's signature <laughs> or something. Like this. And Sally Marr, Lenny yeah. Bruce's mom. Oh, yeah, she's in it. Isn't she's she? in Last Fox right. Well, Frankie's in there. He plays the yeah. priest that cusses out the the guy. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just it's like a weird family movie with a couple moments of mm -hmm. entertaining thing. But anyway. I don't know why we went to Foxtrot, right. but now, oh, that's right, preservationist. Right, preservationist. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. That's fine. But let, let's jump over to um, Big Eyes, because okay. I also love that movie. Oh, wow, okay. Uh, I love that story. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of Lana Del Rey, huge mm -hmm. fan, and I love oh, wow. her all her music, and that, that pulled me right into it. But tell us a little bit about that, just because it's... We were totally fascinated by that story, and, um, you know, that probably took us... That movie took us longer than any other movie to get made. We really? That took us, a, you know, uh, over a decade to make that movie. Um, wow. And we were just really passionate about it. Um, we felt it was just, you know, it's one of our... I mean, we have... You can... There, you can line up all our movies, and and they sort of, you know, there's a there is sort of a thing that's going on with them. This yeah. once again, this is about someone who's considered the worst artist of all time. Right. <laughs> once again, if you if you um, if you understand what she's going through, it's not you. You know, so those crying children are crying because she's locked in a room, right? And right. she's, uh, you know, she's 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 being abused. Um, and uh, you know, uh, Scott and I were going to direct it for a while, and then Tim Burton, waved, you know, came along and saved us and wow. did a great job. And Amy Adams is amazing. In Ama it. Um, amazing. Amazing. And it's great. I mean, it's really, it's really interesting. It almost came out uh, like three years too early. In a sense, it's the ultimate Me Too movie. In a sense, it really is about a woman who uh, had a man totally steal her voice. Totally, totally. I mean, completely steal her voice. Yeah. He he claimed credit for everything she did. Yeah. And when she said, when she told the truth, he he painted her as a crazy person. Oh, that's right. Um, and she had to fight for uh, fight to get it. You guys got to watch this movie, Thank Big you. Eyes. Freaking awesome Thank movie. You. And Tim Burton, just a little bit about what it's like working with him, because obviously we're all fans here. Yeah. And, um, well, he'd, he'd fit in right – I mean, he loves – you know, uh, I would say – this is funny for you. It's like when, you know, when Tim Burton was making Big Eyes, I'd go to his office. He'd have um, Tim Lucas's big book 
about Mario Bava. Oh, wow. okay. On his right. on his desk, so right. you know, all the color schemes are coming from Bava pictures mm-hmm. and things mm-hmm. like that. So you know, he is a fan of the same movies we're yeah. all fans yeah. of, and so he's he, he you know, and he's a very instinctual director. He mm-hmm. just he, he you know he. Uh, uh, he just he knows what he likes, and I also love that he's a fan of stop motion animation, which yes. I'm a huge fan yeah. of. I, I'm um, finally finishing after 30 plus years a movie called The Primevals. That was our big opus. We started in the 90s. It was the most expensive movie I've ever been involved with. 12 weeks shooting all over the place. The Italian Dolomites. We mm. built sets and that's a different and, Dolomite. That's a, yes, a different, <laughs> more or less, <laughs> and. Um, and Dave Allen was the, right. the, the the fellow who dreamt this up, and and I promised him for years prior we'll make this movie one day. It required 250 stop motion animation wow. shots. It was that was a two year schedule after we shot the movie and spent all that money, and about halfway through he passed away with mm. cancer. So and that also kind of coincided with um, dark times for Full Moon. So we literally boxed this up, this expensive project, and only three years ago that we kind of unbox it. I got Chris uh, Endicott, who worked with Dave and a whole team of to find people who know how to do stop motion animation yeah, today's night. They all went on to do CGI. They're in a different mm-hmm. world, but we did it, and we're now literally weeks away from finally completing this oh, thing, and it's it's magnificent. And I'm only telling the story because the only wonderful filmmaker in recent years that I know who still makes and uses stop motion is Tim Burton. Yeah. I mean, he's done some amazing work, which. You know, mm-hmm. a few people. Now it's all CGI, which yeah. for the most part is not my cup of tea. And sometimes, I mean, like the Mars Attacks creatures, was great. I believe are, um, you know, it's Rod sort of CGI Combo. faking. Yes. Faking, uh, you know, made to look and like. And you had a hand version. in that too, right? Yes. And, yeah, I love that. Another great <laughs> freaking Ack, weird. Ack, Ack, that's got uh, my, <laughs> we, we, uh, we created Ack, Ack, Ack. No way. That's yes. my favorite part yeah. of the movie. Yeah. So I, I just for fun, because we're in this right. bizarro world, we're in yeah. a, I, I talked to him when I was with John Waters a few weeks ago. I, I, I told him, I said, I think we're in a John Waters movie, the way we live and the media and the mm-hmm. way we consume things. And so you must have known Johnny Depp a little bit. Mm-hmm. You, you went and made that mm-hmm. movie back in the, in the day. I mean, what do you think about this whole Johnny Depp, Amber Heard thing as a circus? I would say it's a circus, but I'm not going to go there in terms of like, you know, it's, it's, it's their personal life and they do what they want to do. I'm, I'm, I mean, Johnny was nothing but great to me. So I, oh, I, you he's know, wonderful. And our kids went to school with his daughter. So, oh, you know, really? So, um, okay. Uh, uh, you know, so I'm, uh, you know, I have no idea. So I'm, I'm, I asked this and I appreciate your answer because it was the exact answer that John Waters gave me. Mm-hmm. But then he went on to say, I said, I forget how I asked or what I said, but he said the only thing that would be crazier if they both got back together again, <laughs> <laughs> as, it, as it relates to yeah, the yeah. circus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, now, now what's up? What are you guys doing now? We what's are writing the um, a movie for Martin Scorsese. Damn. So, yeah, exactly. Wow. Uh, so that's a dream come true for us. That is um, amazing. A movie about the Grateful Dead. Um, no with freaking jo- way. With Jonah Hill as uh, as Jerry Garcia. So. Dang, is yeah. there a title yet? Or no, uh, not yet. we're writing it for him. Just so writing yeah, it. exactly. I can't really talk much more about that either. But as you shouldn't. Yeah. But um, so, what is it like talking to that guy? I that mean, was man. I was. It was mostly during COVID, so it was really like oh, the, really? the highlight of COVID was, you know, Zoom calls at Scott, me, Jonah, Marty, and you know, and how Bob Weir, whatever. Incredible. Like, it was kind of like I, I walk away like, how did I get here? How that how is oh, here? because you did it, man. Yeah. You, you did your wreck. Yeah. You know yeah. you. And during, I know you're going to hate me asking this question, but so during all of this motivation, making movies, a kid from the Midwest, no money, 
-hmm. Weren't chicks part of this, like meeting hot chicks? <laughs> I, and no, I, you no, know, no, I no. got married pretty early on. And you're married um, to an awesome I'm lady. married with yes. an awesome lady. We've How early? Uh, I'm in my 20s. Oh, okay. So, okay. Uh, um, I mean, I was married before my first movie came out. Oh, okay. Oh, I or didn't... right as my first movie came out. Well, so, she got yeah. perfect timing. Perfect timing. <laughs> you know, we're very, very happy. And, uh, you, know, and you got and, great uh, kids. Got great kids, so can't complain. That is awesome. Yeah. Any final words you want to tell this audience? I, I, I bet. Did you ask John Waters? Like, John, come on, you got some chicks. John, you really must have some I didn't chicks. ask him because that yeah. wouldn't. Uh, no, but we talked right, about right. our certain right. crazy yeah. stuff. Yeah. But because I believe half of our audience are artists, want to be artists, want to be filmmakers, musicians. I mean, I find that because when we go right. out to the meet people, it's, wow, you just stick with it. Is there anything you want to tell these kids, young men, the, the women all, You know, there? the advice that Scott and I always give is uh, is – if you're writing a screenplay, write a movie you want to see, mm -hmm. not a movie you think other people. I mean, not at all. I'm going to write right. that. This, this is hot right now. I'm going to write because someone wants to buy this, and that always drives me crazy. And so I'm selling. I'm writing this. I'm just. I just want to sell it or whatever. It's, like, it's like, of course, whatever, who the fuck are you? Are you? I mean, right. you know, That's it's right. not that easy to sell. Uh, but like for you know. Uh, for us, our our whole career, you know, yes, we had a, a hit with Problem Child, right. but our career really began when we wrote a movie we wanted to see, which was Ed Wood. Love that um, movie. And a lot of my films haven't necessarily been that financially successful, mm -hmm. but because uh, we're sort of, you know, there's a passion to what we're doing, right. we managed to attract you know, people like Tim Burton or, or Milos Forman or, or Martin Scorsese, and so it, uh, it, it, it means all the difference in the world. So do that. The other thing I'd say is even though, you, you know, you know, kill a tree or something by, like, printing, print out your screenplays, read them on paper, make the changes there, put them back in. So they, there's a sloppiness, I feel like, a lot of times when I read a, a script because I don't think they're doing that kind of wow, that intense, that's interesting. That intense looking at that what tactile they're you, you've got to, you've got to You've got to be hard on, what you, on, on, on yourself because the world's, world's a cruel place. It is. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Larry, thank you. Thank I'm, you. I'm, I'm touched by this, and um, we will uh, do this again. That sounds because great. Because we're both doing <laughs> We're not going I'm nowhere. still Ed Wood We're here, not okay? going anywhere. <laughs> I'm Ed Wood, right. kind of, and you're on a great role. And good luck right. with the Scorsese project. Thank you very that much. sounds awesome. Appreciate thank that. you, dude. Right. Thank you. Thank and you. cut. That's it for this week. Remember to follow The Freak Show for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts from. And be sure to watch our video version of the show on Full Moon Features and Full Moon's Amazon Prime channel. See you dudes next time. <laughs>